I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. This is a podcast for the SBS Emerging Writers Competition. The SBS Emerging Writers Competition invites aspiring writers to share their unique stories, with the winner awarded $5,000 to support the development of their storytelling. Head to sbs.com.au forward slash writers to find out more. Hello and welcome to The New Writers Room, a podcast for emerging writers. My name is Caitlin Chang. I'm Candice Chong. We're two commissioning editors at SBS Voices. We're here today to talk about all of the things that go into memoir writing. At a certain point, you do have to reconcile how you see yourself and how how society sees you. And sometimes there is a bit of a disconnect between that. So last year, we received over 2,000 entries for the Emerging Writers Competition. It's an encouraging number for us and a real sign of how many diverse story writers there are out there. Absolutely. Waiting to share stories that only they can tell. So to stand out, however, this is a slightly grim statistic, (laughs) but uh, we're here today to talk about just what makes a story sing when you're up against so many other voices. Caitlin, what are some things that judges look for when they're choosing a shortlist-worthy entry? Um, I mean, first of all, it has to be a compelling story, which sounds really obvious, but... I mean, when you're reading 2,000 entries, that is the key. Is there a strong narrative element? Mm. The winning entry from last year was by Alana Hicks and it had just that. She writes of a quite traumatic experience she had as a 10-year-old and the way she describes that scene, it's almost visceral. You can really feel her fear and the flight or fight response that she had as you read it. It's a really amazing way of kind of transporting mm. a reader back to, you know, what she was going through. Yeah, it helps when you can really picture what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that shortlist-worthy entries need to have that literary flair. So like you said, it needs to be able to transport the reader. It needs to have a lot of description. Are you using dialogue? How are you creating the scene for the reader? Is there a punchy anecdote? And so on the flip side, what are some of the common shortfalls that we see? Yeah, one common trap with last year's competition was some entries told someone else's story. So Mm. they told the story of their neighbour or, (laughs) you know, of their best friend at school. And I can kind of see why that's an easy trap to fall into. But we're talking about memoir, so... Mm. We want to hear from you and your personal stories. Another thing that I found some entries do was they would try and fit their whole life story into their one entry. Yeah. So instead of doing that, what they should be doing is picking out one particular thing and writing about it. You need to kind of explore a very specific detail. So last year's runner-up, Nicole Legger, wrote a piece about how as an Indian migrant kid, he loved talkback radio shock chocks. That's amazing. It was hilarious and it was really random, but it was actually a really good way to talk about wider things. So he loved shock jocks because 
he was trying to show how much yeah. he loved Australia and how much he was trying to assimilate into our culture. Yeah. So it was a very, very niche, very particular part of his childhood, but he spoke about a lot of wider things about growing up in diverse Australia and, you know, trying to embrace a new culture and become part of that national identity, albeit in a very unusual way. Yeah, yeah. It, it was surprising, but also completely believable. Yeah, absolutely. Right? <laughs> so today our guest is someone who managed to do all of that in her memoir entry last year. Alana Hicks is a writer, digital content maker, and the winner of the 2020 SBS Emerging Writers Competition. Last year's judge and 2019 Miles Franklin Award winner Melissa Lukashenko said, Alana's winning entry was a fierce blow struck in self-defence against casual racism. What an amazing bit of feedback to get from such an amazing writer. I know, it's amazing. (laughs) Like, I mean, even the comment itself is like winner worthy. I would just kind of be done then. I'd be like, okay, I don't need to write anymore. It's a wrap. (laughs) And I guess um, Benjamin Law, he also said about Alana's piece, He called her an important new voice in Australian writing. He said that the piece was a self-contained gut punch of a story offering hard-won wisdom, strength and perspective. Mm. So I think very, very valid praise. Yeah, the gut punch part is definitely true. Yes. And we're going to talk to Alana right now. Well, hi, Alana. Welcome to our podcast, The New Writer's Room. Hello. You won the SBS Emerging Writers Competition in November 2020. And what have you been up to since then? Um, I've just been, you know, living off the spoils of that competition, really, and assuming (laughs) that'll last for the rest of my life. Yeah, right. Um, (laughs) That's the idea. (laughs) Look, I took it as a sign as something that I really wanted to pursue. I mean, I had dedicated that particular year to making sure that I was sort of satisfying that urge to write and write Mm -hmm. as much as I could. So I have actually taken the ball and run with it and I've continued on with a novel that I started sort of 2019. It's in the same world as that short story or that essay. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. I'm pursuing that. Uh, I have a friend who's a really great writer. We swap chapters and and do feedback for each other. So it sort of helps to keep us accountable for delivering work and just making sure we're doing the work, mm. but also just um, that that fresh set of eyes on something and just, um, yeah, keeping yeah. on going. That's so good. It's always good to have a, a writing friend to keep you accountable, as you said. Mm. Or a writing enemy helps too. <laughs> a nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> Roxanne Gay ha- always talks about how she has a nemesis. I wonder if <gasps> it's a writing nemesis or just a life nemesis. Who is it? Yeah. You don't know? I don't know. She never reveals it, but <sighs> she always tweets about it. Intriguing. I just, I want to know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, so last year's competition, the theme was growing up in diverse Australia and your entry was hands down, the judges just loved it. Ben Law called it a gut punch, which I think is fairly accurate. Mm. Um, Would you be happy to read an excerpt from your entry? Yeah, of course. Okay. So this particular section, we actually are in a flashback to Mm. PNG. Yeah. The sun blazed as we rolled down our street past a group of men, faces alight with the potential for menace. I conducted the ritual of our arrival home, dashing out of the car with its tinted windows to the barbed wire six-foot fence, unlocking the padlock and widening the gate just enough for my mother to drive through. But as the sun began its descent, I saw the silhouettes moving faster towards me. Instinctually, I hid my scrawny 10-year-old self behind a small, leafless tree. I was expert at hiding, 
at camouflage. I perfected being invisible. Always look down. Don't make a point of your difference. Don't be too loud. Don't be too white in the black crowd. Don't be too black in the white one. No one will notice you if you're quiet and pretend to be shy. Blend in, especially at the jawline. I watched as they surrounded her car, banging on the windows, screaming for her to get out. My father in the house shouting the opposite, don't get out. I knew she would get out. I wasn't in the car with her. She would get out, drawing attention away from me and bear the brunt of whatever was to come. She opened the door a crack. They flung it open. I saw a machete move to her throat. I knew my only job was to run, run to the back door, into the kitchen. By now it was pure darkness. My father was no longer in the living room. I picked up the phone and called the cops. I was trained for this. That passage is so... It's so visceral and... It's tense. It is tense. Yeah. And it's really, like, I just can't imagine going through that as a 10-year-old and mm. the fact that you're able to kind of transport us back there is, it's really amazing. And actually, can I just say that if you do get your novel published and it's on an audiobook, I think you should be the person Oh, reading. yes. Oh, thank That's, you. You have such... <laughs> Exactly. Try not to laugh though. That was a weird laugh. But yeah, thank you so much. (laughs) That is exactly what I was thinking though. I thought this is really traumatic, but I can also listen to Alana's voice forever. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, whatever the topic or the kind of content. Thank you. I think you have a beautiful voice. Oh, it's really lovely of you to say thank you. It's very soothing. Now I could get into like erotic Erotic fan Honestly, fiction, maybe. you could. You could. Or like a- AMSR. Is that what it's called? ASMR. Oh. ASMR. ASMR. Bad stuff. I haven't even, I don't understand what that is. I'm avoiding trying to understand what that is. But uh, okay. Anyway, just our two cents. Um, but, yeah, back to your piece. I mean, what I think really resonated with the people who read it and put it on the shortlist was that you were really able to capture that idea of being caught between two worlds. And when you spoke to SBS Voices last year, after you won the competition, you called yourself a cultural in-betweener, which is something I think that a lot of first and second generation Australians and also mixed race people um, would identify with. How hard or easy was it for you to try and capture that feeling of being a cultural in-betweener? It's funny, you know, like you just walk around and, and, you know, in your shoes and your jeans or whatever and you're just a normal person kind of interacting with the environment and and society, not really analysing how you fit into that space um, until people point it out to you and, and the more they do, the more you start to understand how you are similar or different to others in, in the context within which you live. So that can be kind of traumatic if it's negative. Um, if it's positive, you just have no idea what's going on and you sail through and life is cheesy and cool. But um, at a certain point, you do have to reconcile how you see yourself and how, how society sees you. And sometimes there is a bit of a disconnect between that. I think each person who experiences that duality of identity or that conflict of belonging or, you know, to what, to whom, to where do I belong, and needs to sort of reconcile that within themselves. And I think only after that work is done mm. can you kind of write about it or, or, or create work that speaks to that. Um, so, yeah, I don't think I could have written this particular essay in my 20s, 100% I couldn't have, um, you know, because I think that I, I did and, and still sometimes do have a lot of internalised misogyny, internalised um, racism. You know, as hard as it is to admit that to yourself, 
you you do need to recognize the way you've been you know, manipulated <laughs> or yeah. uh, the way you have been conditioned through your experiences growing up. And and I had a very white lens uh, after I moved to Australia and it, it felt like that was the way I was conditioned and I needed to, to confront that, to see yeah. that for what it was before I could write about it and, and reflect on it and then choose a path that was a little bit more aligned with how I wanted to connect with my tradition, culture and, and heritage. Mm. If that makes sense, I'm not sure. So. Yeah, definitely. I think it's so interesting that you bring up the time it took for you to really write about this this piece and, and this, some of the things you went through because there really is a reflective quality that comes through. And it feels to me like, you know, it's from someone who has really processed their emotions. Like you can't have written about it while all of that is still hot like hot hot's a great expression yes hot Mm. yeah so um you know which kind of leads me to the question I wanted to ask which was so much of memoir writing is about putting yourself onto the page and opening yourself up to judgment was that difficult to do that for you oh you can't oh it's so easy it's just really easy A breeze, um, you, complete no, breeze. No, it is the worst. <laughs> Are you kidding mm. me? It's like being put on a cold table and just asking someone to uh, examine your naked body or something. Um, I like that the table also has to be cold. so It's, it's like... cold. It's metal and cold. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's really hard. Of mm. course it's hard. I mean, whether it's writing or whether it's um, some other creative work, any kind of any, I think maybe just about anything that, that comes from, I suppose, uh, like an expression of your soul, not to be too, mm. you know, <laughs> wanky about it, but um, 100% you're trying to speak your truth and and other people are going to disagree with you in a big way and make mm. you feel small for it. So you really need to be able to back yourself and defend yourself and say, I believe this. And and in that knowing of of your sort of connection to your work, I think maybe that's what engages and, and attracts others to the work. This mm. is a guess, yeah. but um, I'm, I'm totally, it's really hard, very vulnerable. And mm. my, you know, my <laughs> my condolences are, uh, with anybody who has sort of put work out there and been sort of destroyed. Um, you just have to get back up and keep going because mm. it'll mm. be worth it in the end. Does anything make it easier? Anything make it easier to be vulnerable and exposed yeah, like that? Yeah, or are there, you know, things that you might try to tell yourself to, yeah. coax your writing self into starting to type? I think I think you must protect yourself, especially in the early stages. Mm. I think it is fair to say that early work should be for, f- for sort of special people to look at and give you positive, constructive feedback because if you get crushed too early in the writing journey, I, I think it can eliminate any hope for mm, yeah. <laughs> coming back. Um, yeah, no, I think you do need to protect yourself somehow. I, I don't know how, though. I'm still learning, you know. <laughs> um, so the piece that you submitted for the competition was also, I think, um, a lot about your mother and a tribute to your mother who um, was born and raised in PNG and that's also where you spent your formative years in Papua New Guinea. Did your mum get a chance to read the piece before you submitted it or did you talk to her about it first? I didn't, um, <laughs> and I recognise now that perhaps I should have. But I, I didn't anticipate winning, though. Like, no. I didn't think that was a even a possibility. I don't really enter these things, 
you know, thinking that I will win because you inevitably get um, disappointed. So, but my mum understands how much I write about her. I have yeah. written about her in the past. So we have actually had that conversation previously. Yeah. And, you know, I, I made a short film that was, that was about her as well. And in a way that was even more uh, revealing than the memoir, so mm. than the essay. So she's well aware that I exploit all my personal <laughs> uh, relationships and anecdotes to a creative end, and she's cool with it. Look, it's all material. And she and she loves. Yeah, it's all material. That's the danger of having a kid who's a writer, or having a friend or partner who's a writer, because um, there is that danger. But you do try to be forthright with people around you mm. to say, um, "This is what uh, what I've done, and I hope you're okay with it." I don't know. That's a real tricky question. I'm sure that lots of people must struggle with that in memoir. Yeah. So why did you decide to enter the competition? Uh, I, I want to be a professional writer. And so I am strategically trying to do that. I entered that competition, A, because the prompt spoke to me and I felt I had Mm -hmm. something relevant to say to that particular topic. And also I want to be a writer. I don't know how else to say it. I just (laughs) just want to do stuff that helps me get to that goal. Mm. And sometimes having a deadline helps, right? Oh, my God, of course it helps. (laughs) I'm so lazy. I just... (laughs) I can't even put too fine a point on that. I'm just, I, I, it, I don't have a lot of self-discipline. I tried to do this um, correspondence comic writing course when I was in high school and it just, just gathered dust and I just <laughs> felt bad about it for the rest of my life. So, you know, dis, like discipline is necessary and critical for a writer or mm-hmm. any creative practitioner and yeah. it's something that I am working on all the time. Mm. So I wonder uh, how long had you been writing before you entered the competition? Yeah, generally speaking, I have been writing my whole life. Like I, you know, as soon as I sort of understood uh, about stories and things like that, I, you know, I was sort of writing as a kid. You know, like when you come back from holidays and they say, Mm. what did you do on your holidays? I never did anything interesting. So I used to make up um, real crazy stories about what I did and (laughs) where I'd been and stuff like that. And um, just for funsies, you know. So, Mm. yeah, I've been writing a long time, but professionally, not at all. It was really tricky to get published. It is very hard. It's, you know, people need to know that it's difficult to get published. Um, mm-hmm. And there are certain strategies and pathways to to try to, you know, understand how long the process can take. So I had a few bits and pieces published and, um, you know, I did a lot of spoken word poetry yeah. when I was younger. So I actually found that was one of the ways that I used to create work and find an audience fairly immediately. But I don't know, Thousand Moons? <laughs> mm, mm. I, there's, I guess there are a lot of barriers and it's hard to get published and hard for people to see your work. So I really admire that you are hustling and going for it because I think lots of people would love to do that, but like myself included, I'm also quite lazy and <laughs> there's a reason <laughs> I'm an editor and not a writer. <laughs> it's It's funny though, isn't it, that standard that you set for yourself. I say that I'm lazy, but it's like, well, I do work very hard, but I I want to be efficient, and I I don't yeah. want to I don't want to toil my whole adult life writing something that maybe I won't be happy with. Yeah. Maybe I I am happy with it, you know. Like if yeah. I wrote a novel and it, this novel that I'm doing at the moment, and it didn't get published, mm. I, I think that would be okay as long as I felt like I had done a good job with it, yeah. and um, I'd forced all my friends to read it. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's what friends are for to read that's right. to read your manuscript <laughs> why else that's that right. exactly <laughs> yeah and so 
With your your piece that you submitted last year, like it won for many reasons, obviously. It had so many elements that we look for in a good piece of memoir at SBS Voices. And the vivid descriptions really, I think, transported the reader. I especially loved you had a motif in the first paragraph where you used different colour descriptions, which I thought was just a really clever literary device. How much time do you spend working on a story? Like, did that just flow out of you? Or do you write a bit, then come back and go, oh, how can I make this a kind of, you know, theme or a pattern? Or is it literally just stream of consciousness for you? I I usually do write stream of consciousness, but that Mm -hmm. work is hardly ever excellent. For this particular piece, as soon as the kind of announcement came out, I thought, I get that. This is relevant to my lived experience and I'm going to write a piece for that. (laughs) Almost out of like, you know, damn it, I'm going to write a piece and I don't (laughs) care. Nobody's going to bloody stop me. I'm so glad Uh, you did. (laughs) (laughs) So weird and angry. Um, (laughs) But uh, so, look, as soon as that was announced, I started writing it before you'd opened the competition portal. So I um, immediately sat down and I told my husband I'm dedicating these particular days to working on on a story that I'm, I'm going to submit to SBS. And this is the only thing, I mean, everybody writes differently. Maybe different people can write on the bus or on the toilet or whatever, but I, I needed to sit down for six to eight hours mm, or yeah. six hours. I've got two young kids. Yeah. And... Um, just waste an hour yeah. sitting there <laughs> and thinking, I wonder if I've got any emails, maybe I should just check. And then <laughs> I stop and then go, no, focus, focus, come on. <laughs> and then uh, and then wait a while and then go, what am I trying to say? What am I really trying to say? Sit in that feeling and I think maybe people call it like flow, you know, like mm. you want to get into that state. You know, your, your editors, I know that you're probably all creative people as well and when you're working on something that you really feel like is uh, kind of resonating with yourself and is and things are kind of working and coming out, it's because you're very much in that moment and you're focused on the, on the thing that you're trying to say and do. So um, I think your question was how long did it take me yeah. to write the piece? Um, so I suppose a matter of three to four weeks to write the essay piece because I did about at least three or f- three versions and then mm. the fourth version was just minor edits but um, three major structural versions. And I, I think that one thing that I've learned about writing over time is that drafts, don't be afraid of drafts. Drafting is, yeah. I think drafting might be one of the critical parts of it. Totally. That's one thing that, I mean, sometimes writers who send us a story might get a bit surprised at, mm-hmm. you know, the number of drafts, but I think it's just a really good, like it's it's rare. I don't think any writer really just, you know, the first thing that comes out of them is the finished product mm-hmm. unless you're, I don't know, I can't even think of anyone. But Well, a lot of writers talk mm-hmm. about how most of writing is rewriting, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. And that makes a lot of sense to me. As a commissioning editor myself, I try to phrase submissions as drafts. So, you know, feel free to ha- hand in your draft by a certain date. So it's less daunting. Like, yeah. <laughs> feel free to hand in your perfect story yeah. by <laughs> deadline. No pressure. Yeah. <laughs> it has to be amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, it's about drafting and also starting to feel comfortable with the mm. process of drafting, as you said. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And did anyone else read your piece before you submitted it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think 
that was one of the things that I did differently with this piece than I might have done for other submissions that I have done over the course of my life or whatever. I actually sent this out to three people that I trusted that were writers Mm. and there were different types of writers, um, sort of friends, associates, you know, one guy that I'd worked with a little bit and, you know, you check in with them before I sent the writing, I sent them an email saying, I'm entering this competition. Would it be okay if I sent you this um, short story And that's why you do it in advance as well, Mm -hmm. by the way. Give yourself plenty of time because people aren't going to turn these notes around for you, you know, in five minutes. They need time to do that. Time is valuable and you're asking a big favour. So one of them who's written, she's written several novels herself, but um, she won't let me read her novels, but I thought I'm just (laughs) going to send this piece to her and ask her what she thinks. She just was like, it's great, it's great. And I was like, okay, thank you, all right. Um, And then the second person I sent it to gave me some beautiful, whom I'm co-writing something with at the moment, we're working on something together. She uh, gave me all this grammatical, syntactical, um, structural stuff. And I was Mm -hmm. like, sick, all right, nice. I can use that, I can do something with that. The third person I sent it to gave me the hard questions and Mm. said to me, where's the ending? There's no ending, it doesn't end. (laughs) And I was like, shut up, it doesn't end. It ends. I'm not going to do any more work, go away. And then um, he was like, no, Alana, what are you trying to say here? It doesn't end. And that's actually been one of my problems before. Mm. I've known this about myself, but I just pretend it's not true. I don't end. I don't end stories. I just get out. I run away because I'm like, I've done the work. I'm so tired now. They're hard to end. It's hard to find an ending sometimes. (laughs) And especially I think shorter pieces, like, you know, around a thousand words, it can be really tricky to just kind of distill everything that you have just said in some um, amazing ending. Yeah, and they also kind of have to make a kind of sense. It almost has to have a natural feeling to the ending rather than mm. like a made-up yeah. rap, which is the tricky part, I think. It's just like a song, like when you just said that, like it has to have a natural feeling ending. Yeah. You know, like a song, feel like if a song just ended abruptly, you'd mm. be kind of like what the hell happened, but um, yeah, yeah it needs to feel like that natural ending. Yeah, natural, but also like, you know, this feeling of it being inevitable as well, but mm. somehow there's also an element of surprise. Yeah. So, again, no pressure. <laughs> it's so easy. It's got to feel natural <laughs> and surprising. <laughs> <laughs> so what is amazing, though, is what you did, which is going out to readers that you trust to get their opinion Yep. Trust is key. Don't send it to people who are kind of mean to you. I would never send it to my sister. I love my sister. I love her. (laughs) She's wonderful. But, uh, you know, or my mother, like, or or even friends of mine who are not necessarily, who don't read. A lot of people don't read. It stuns me. But um, people who read, people who write, for sure. And trust. Yes. They have to have your best interests at heart. Yeah. And are there any um, memoir writers that inspire you or that you admire? Well, I, I just melted when, when Benjamin Law said that about, um, mm, about yeah. the essay because I was like, oh, shut up, he's talking about someone else, surely. <laughs> um, you know, there's this, this writer called Sarah Krasnerstein. I don't know if she's strictly a, mem- a memoirist, but um, she was written a memoir about somebody else. Mm. I don't know what you call that, and she writes nonfiction. Her recent work she uh, threaded through a bit of her own work, and I just love the combination of reality and fantasy, you know, like yeah. real life is just so interesting. Yeah. Oh, but one memoir that uh, I think maybe changed my life for a minute there was this guy, Corey White. He wrote this memoir called The 
prettiest horse in the glue factory oh. about his life growing up in a foster home and he's a stand-up comedian actually. Mm. Uh, maybe I, I liked it because it was like heaps funny mm, but yeah. also it was deadly serious uh, about mm. abuse and trauma and intergenerational cycles of poverty, things that really interest me, fascinate me that I think should probably um, be mandatory reading for everybody. Mm. Um, Mm. Beautiful. So I wonder what other tips you might have for writers who are going to try and enter this year. Well, um, I, I'd say like write for yourself first and and just make sure that that process is about you becoming a better writer and uh, that's sort of, that's I could just say that that's because it's what I did, I suppose. Mm. You know, I'm trying to have a think about tips and things like that because at the end of the day people kind of, they do things because they're strongly motivated to do them. Uh, and so in entering a competition like this is going to be for a very small number of reasons. One is you want to be a writer. Two, you have a story to tell. And that third mysterious reason is something that is individual to whoever is out there. Um, I don't know what other tips I could really offer let me just look at something real quick, Candace and Caitlin. I'm just sure. going to check something because I wrote a few dot points oh, of um, over here, but I, f- I forgot them. Refer um, to your notes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't compare yourself with others. I do that. It sucks. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Oh, tips. Oh, wow. I've misunderstood the question in my notes here. I'm like giving like life advice about shit. Give us no, the life you, advice. I want Alana. life advice. Life, <laughs> life advice about just being a professional writer though. You know, mm-hmm. like sometimes people go to school to go to be a writer, but that's not the only pathway. I sometimes Mm -hmm. think that great writing comes from actually going out and living a life and then (laughs) reflecting on that life in your own words. Um, I think that's, yeah, a powerful way to communicate to people. Um, Oh, yeah, here's another note. Start a spreadsheet. (laughs) I love Uh, spreadsheets. Let's hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My biggest advice is to start a spreadsheet. Um, Yes. (laughs) But um, a spreadsheet with like, you know, your tasks, your goals and your and your deliverables by certain dates and incorporate that uh, that into your life so that other other stuff doesn't take over. I think just be really practical about it, you know, make sure you do those drafts, do them early and send them out for feedback. Mm, that is a really powerful note, I think. Finish your draft early and send them out for feedback. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of it, you'll just have a, a work that you are really happy with. Forget about the competition, you know. <laughs> Sorry, I know the podcast is here to promote the competition, but, um, you know, like ultimately this is about building better writers in Australia Mm. and finding those unique voices. If you wrote something so beautiful, you loved it, but you decide at the end of the day not to press send because maybe you're not ready. Hey, you know, I almost didn't press send. I very nearly was like, maybe I shouldn't submit this. Maybe it's too vulnerable. There you go. Listen up. (laughs) But push through. Push, push through, through. push yeah. through, press send. They're only just going to read it and, and give you a call one day and just frighten the crap out of you in an <laughs> <Exactly>. open plan <laughs> office. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alana, for the tips Thank and you. for the life advice. I think you've provided a lot of really valuable advice for people wanting to enter this year and I really can't wait to read your novel when it's finished. <laughs> oh, you have, it's so weird. Yes, thank you so much. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us on The New Writer's Room. Thank you very much. That's it for us this episode. 
Next week, we'll be talking about desire and intimacy with Jesse Chu, author of A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing. Who you love or what you love is really um, defined by who you pay attention to. The New Writers' Room is produced by Caitlin Chang and Candace Chung and edited and mixed by Jeremy Wilmot. Our executive producers are Natalie Hambly and Danielle Teutsch. You can find SBS Voices on Facebook or on Twitter. Entries for the SBS Emerging Writers Competition close on September 16th and you can find out more by heading to sbs.com.au forward slash writers. And if you'd like to pitch a story to SBS Voices, you can email voices at sbs.com.au. The official anthology of the 2020 SBS Emerging Writers Competition is out now at all good bookshops. Roots, Home is Who We Are, published by Hardy Grant Books in partnership with SBS, features 30 of the best entries to inspire you to get writing. Need a few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.